Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihil kareem wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in ama ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to a brand new podcast episode with your host Shabir here connecting with all of our Umfeed uh, listeners and viewers all across the world. MashaAllah, I hope you've been uh, enjoying the podcast so far and uh, I know for a fact that you're all going to enjoy today's session inshallah we've got a, an amazing guest someone that I've met but I haven't been able to connect with enough but I'm sure something's telling me today in this episode we're going to connect very well inshallah uh, again it's a guest from the US uh, mashallah we've had many guests uh, from the US already as you've already had so far uh, but this uh, guest is uh, very very special indeed none other than Mufti Muhammad Wasim Khan, aka Mufti MWK. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi You brand me better than I brand myself. <laughs> How are you, Sheikh UK? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing good. How are you? Alhamdulillah. Thank you so much for, for coming once again to the UK and taking your time out to be here with us in the Umfi studio. It's a pleasure to have you. I, th- I think it warrants our first meeting, though. I think I should explain what happened in our first meeting. Yeah, yeah, go on. So I'm at a fundraiser. And uh, there's a poetry jam that's going on there. Oh, yeah. and, wait, wait, uh, not just a normal poetry jam. I mean, you have who, who's you there? Have Ahmad Bukhater there, Bukhater right? You have there, you have right? the guy the Ahmad Bukhater <laughs> exactly. there. And I'm sitting in. The, I'm I'm a speaker there, and I see you know Sheikh Shabir in the crowd, and we had never met before never, that. No. And while Ahmad Bukhater is looking for someone to say a poem, I just go there, <laughs> grab his hand, say "Salam alaikum, how are you?" and drag him to the stage while he's pulling back. So that was our first meeting. Alhamdulillah. What a meeting that was. Alhamdulillah. No, it's a pleasure to to have you back here in the UK. And um, yeah, we've got we've got a few things that we we, we wanted to discuss uh, in in this episode, uh, of course. But first and foremost, I'm going to kind of like just throw you in the deep end straight away. Okay, <laughs> don't worry, there's nothing, nothing crazy. Payback. <laughs> yeah, you know what, I should have thought about something <laughs> like that. But um, just because, look, everyone hears this term Mufti. Yeah, like people have, have come across or they've listened to Mufti before. But a lot of people don't actually know what does that mean. Like you hear, you hear someone's an alim, you hear someone's a sheikh, right? Uh, but then you hear Mufti. So what is actually the difference between your, like, an alim or, or a sheikh or someone that you call like Maulana, you know, you have so many different titles and then you have someone who's a mufti. So give us, inshallah, an introduction to that. So before I explain the difference in the terminology, I think it's important to understand how the different uh, major schools of Islamic theology, they disseminate their information. Mm. There's many Islamic uh, universities and schools around the globe they all can predominantly trace their origins to pretty much three or four locations. Mm. One is in the subcontinent, one is in Saudi Arabia, Medina University, and the third is Jamia Islamia, uh, uh, Jamia Asr. Um, and Alhamdulillah, I had the opportunity of going to all three and seeing all three of them. So the idea is, is that uh, the ones in Saudi Arabia and in Egypt, their focus is more of from a secular perspective. So their demarcation is like a bachelor's, a master's, a PhD, X, Y, and Z. Mm. So over there, someone that has accomplished the master's program or has done the PhD mm. is generally considered a scholar there. Right. Whereas in the subcontinent and schools that are affiliated with the subcontinent, Anyone who's done the seven-year Darsinidami program is called an alim, mm. right? So this is the terminology of understanding <clears throat> what is a scholar, what is not a scholar. Sure. Now, once you understand that one is a scholar, one is not. The second thing is, is that you'll hear terms like ustad, you'll hear terms like sheikh, you'll hear, you'll hear terms like maulana and mm. mufti. Now, what's the differentiation? So generally, someone who is called an ustad 
And this is people in our day and age, because back in the day, an ustad was considered a, a very prestigious title. Mm. A hafid was considered someone who had hundreds and thousands of ahadith memorized. Sure. It wasn't just someone who had the Quran memorized. So these mm. were really prestigious titles. Ibn Hajar is called Hafid Ibn Hajar. Mm. Uh, but in our days, a hafid is just someone who memorized the Quran. And it's just considered as a normal person. Whereas in those days, hafid was the, you just didn't call, get called hafid. Yeah, yeah. You had to be the dawn of dawns to be like called the creme a hafid. You had creme de creme, right? You have to be like elite to be called a hafid. Mm. Um, so th that's th that's the terminology difference. So then you have the ustad, which is basically someone who studied a little bit with uh, you know from, from in any capacity, but there are they may not be a scholar, but they're there as a teacher, right? They're there sure. to educate uh, because we need all levels of people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the second category you'll hear is someone being called a sheikh. Now sheikh does not necessarily mean someone is a scholar. In the Arabic language, Sheikh is also an elderly person. Right, our father is an elderly man. Now, Sheikh may refer to a scholar, may not refer to a scholar. In today day, in today's day and age, it's it's a term that's if someone is a little bit of a speaker, or someone's a little elderly, or someone has a really thick uh, accent, you're a Sheikh now. Or a lot right? of money as well. A lot of money. Oh yeah, yeah. That's you have the filthy rich Sheikhs as well. <laughs> Right, we call them milkshakes, mulukka sheikh. Right, the, the the ones who run the countries. Um, so that's that. That's where the sheikh terminology comes. So a sheikh can be a scholar, cannot be a scholar. Mm. Then you have a maulana, right? Maula in the Arabic language has close to seventeen or twenty different meanings to it. One of the meanings is someone who's like a guardian or protector, or someone who's you know that you that kind of guides you, right? Mm. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ called Zayd radiAllahu anhu maula, anta akhuna wa maulana, right? Mm. In the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, so there's different places in the Quran it comes. So now a Mawlana is someone generally who's been through the seven-year traditional system, right? Where right. they've gone through the different Quran, Hadith, and so on and so forth. This is called a Mawlana, an Alim, a scholar in that capacity. And then you have someone who's called a Mufti. And a Mufti is something that's been used over the centuries, right? right? The term Mawlana may not be used throughout history from beginning till end. Mm. Uh, alim was generally used from beginning till end. Al-Ulama Warthatul Anbiya, the Prophet of Allah, uses this terminology. But the term Mufti was generally used from the time of the Sahaba onwards. This was Mufti al-Madina, right? These are the people, mm. so a Mufti is a specialist in Islamic jurisprudence and its 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 laws, right? The, the edicts that when you have a law, something for example, test tube babies or uh, something that, that that deals with beatboxing, for example. Mm. These are contemporary issues where you're not going to find Quran or Hadith explicitly define it um, or the marijuana issue that everyone likes to ask about. Mm. But these are not explicit issues. So our job is to reflect on Quran, Hadith, draw a, 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 a sculpture from there and be able to interpret today's laws based on the reflection of the prophetic capacity. And I just want to clarify on uh, on the discussion that that we were speaking about. I was with uh, Dr. Yasser Qadi a few weeks ago, and he, and he made an interesting comment on the differentiation between the university approach to Islam and the Dars al-Nidami or the traditional approach. So mm -hmm. he mentions the subcontinent approach. He mentioned, and I, and I concur with him wholeheartedly, he mentioned that the university system is more compartmentalized Whereas the traditional system is more encyclopedic. Mm. So whereas one, if someone has done a bachelor's or a master's in hadith or fiqh, in that area, they have a very solid footing. Um, whereas the other areas, they may not have as solid uh, a footing. Whereas in the traditional system, you have an encyclopedic system, but that also comes at the cost of not also being a specialist in particular fields at times. So everything has its benefits or its losses, and I and, and I think it's very important, as Abdullah bin Mubarak, rahimahullah, says that it's not been a deen, uh, 
that your 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 chain and your link your your credibility is from deen so know and vouch the people you're getting knowledge from is because the end of times the people you know people will take people who are not worthy of being those to spout out mm. and scholar scholarly mm. content and people will adhere to them and that's where misguidance will spread from and that's the point that I think we're gonna we're gonna come to, inshallah. Uh, but uh, uh, that was a really deep beginning to the podcast. I think it's the deepest like <laughs> beginning intro we've had. So I hope for those of you who are listening is still with us, right? Because uh, even I wasn't expecting all of that, mashallah. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. So another question, which is, at what stage in your life did you, in your studies, did you kind of think, you know what, this is what I want to go into. I want to become a mufti or I want to specialize in uh, jurisprudence, in fiqh. Uh, because of course, like you could have taken any, any any route, right? You could have said Quran, tafsir, you know, uh, mufassir, hadith, muhaddith, like it could have been anything. But uh, at what point did you feel like, uh, I want to become, I want to go into this? And what was like the main driving factor behind that? So I was born in Dallas, Texas, but mm-hmm. I grew up in Saudi. Okay. Uh, my father was the general manager of Korean Airlines in Jeddah Airport, and our home was relatively near Jeddah. Right. That means that any scholar that would come for Hajj or Umrah, they would stop at our homes, and you know we would do their hospitality. And my parents, my father was just a normal businessman, clean shaved, uh, worked you know uh, a, a, a corporate job, um, speaks Korean fluently, which is pretty oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty dope. Um, <laughs> And growing up, I just saw scholars all the time at home. Okay. And I just saw the reverence that my parents had for them. And I remember I was about four or five years ago. We were by Bab Malik Fahad. It was towards the left stair area, and there was Zamzam there. And my mother gave me Zamzam, and she said, Do dua to Allah to make you a Hafiz Alim and a Mufti. And I had no idea what these things meant. So I did dua. And I drank it, but obviously I was a kid. Yeah, I was lazy, yeah. so I said, "Ya Allah, make me Hafiz Ali Mufti in one day, right?" So that was <laughs> that, that, that was my childish part to it. Uh, and Allah has accepted two parts, but not the third part. Didn't I haven't finished my hirv yet? But inshallah, one day. Inshallah. So now, uh, growing up, I constantly saw my parents around scholars and serving them. Uh, there was one place that I was in Chicago and I finished from a lecture, and a few people came and they were appreciating it. And there was a scholar, a very senior scholar, sitting there, and he said. Anything you see from this young man is nothing to do with his kamal or his qualification. It was the fact that his parents straightened the <clears throat> shoes of scholars and did their khidmat that somebody's dua hit them. Mm. Somebody's dua touched them. As I was growing and, and through my studies, one thing that really I could not grasp my mind around was the concept of why is something Hanafi, Shafi, Malik. I just could not grasp it, right? That you have Quran, Hadith. You know, what, what, why do we align ourselves with one of these mm. things? Why is it so important? And then you'd hear people be like, well, imagine there are four roads to Jannah. And it, it was like these silly <laughs> examples, right? And it just didn't make sense. And yeah. to me, one of, the, one, one of the things, sure, I was inspired, but then I also went to school and I also had influences around me that deterred me from getting closer to Allah as well. But it was the idea that I did not want a middleman to explain my religion to me, I wanted to get to it myself, and I wanted to really soak it in on a personal mm. level. So that 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 uh, uh, confusion of understanding our fiqh was one of the main reasons that one made me want to specialize in it. And plus, uh, fiqh is all about debating and you know <laughs> evidence and uh, which American doesn't like debating? Yeah, true, true, true. Well, that's 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 amazing because. Um, because I because I, I know that even at a young age, uh, mashallah, like you presented even a, a paper, 
at the university. <laughs> you know, I'm going to bring it up, right? Yeah. And the paper was on out of all things. Like, it's interesting because you you said that things are developing, and that's one thing I did want to speak about as well. Like, fiqh is not is not just like it hasn't just remained as it is in the sense that there's new issues every single day, especially nowadays in the day and age of like technology with social media, uh, with like things are so advanced now. So, so as scholars, obviously you have to keep up. Right. Um, but so, so, so here, here you are as, as someone a lot more kind of younger in your studies and then you present a paper on abortion. So what, like, okay, let's, we'll speak about why that was like, cause there's always a reason, right? There's always a reason. Like there must be it seems like there's a sinister part to this question. <laughs> there's always a reason. Uh, so let's talk about that. And then also maybe you could just quickly briefly speak about your personal, like what your research was on and how long that took you. Cause a lot of people, they just kind of see the end result. They see the end result. Like, okay, this is the fatwa. He's given a fatwa or he's, he's come up with a conclusion. But then they don't know actually how much effort and how much research was done behind the scenes. So let's get an insight into the mind of Mufti MWK. <laughs> so though that that <laughs> paper was one of uh, the more special papers I've written in my life, uh, I have to be honest though. Mm. Um, I remember <clears throat> I was 21, I believe, or 22 that time. And I was teaching in Chicago and I get this email. Uh, from Amja saying that anyone who presents a research paper uh, will get a free ticket and free accommodation. And I had just graduated, didn't have much money, um, and I thought it would be a great way to meet more scholars and network for a free ticket. And I said, well, there's so many people presenting, your paper had to also get accepted as well. Mm. So I went through the different topics, this and that. I saw abortion and I said, okay, let me write on this topic. Uh, It was just more the idea that I felt that that was a lot more relative Uh, And something that will be more relatable to people. So I sit there and I remember the deadline that came. I missed the deadline. Mm. They had an extension to the deadline. I missed that deadline too. So there was the third extension to the deadline. And it was one day before it. And the deadline extension was probably at like midnight or something. And I remember it was after Isha. I took about seven, eight students with me to the library. And I said to them that I need about 40, 45 books. I will tell you the book's name. And you just have to pull out the certain chapter that I'm looking for. Okay. So that was what shaved off the most. I knew the books that I needed. I knew the places that I need to reference. Mm-hmm. So I just walked into a library with them. Um, and generally, these things would take a lot more time and a lot more effort. Uh, but because I was in a time crunch and I had students at my hand, we walked into a library. We had them just pulling out random books. And you had these huge stacks of like, yeah, it was yeah. like a metro- metropolitan of, of, <laughs> of books that were there. And uh, I had one youngster who was really good at uh, proofreading and editing. Uh, he was he was a medical student who took a break. And I sat there going through 45 books, wow. 40 or 45 books. And I just went through every aspect of them, pulled out the content that I needed, formulated it. It, it was done actually overnight. Uh, and around, I think, sometime before Fudger is when I had submitted the final paper. Uh, so though that paper, though, though that the, the unique thing about that was that in Amja, very elderly people presented. And by presenting that paper there, I was the youngest person in their history to present till now. Mm. And uh, the next person who was the youngest was 10 years older than myself. Mm. Uh, so that was, uh, th- that was a very unique uh, thing that I got. It was interesting is because when I arrived at the hotel, uh, they didn't know I was the presenter. They actually told me to, you know, just to go have a seat or something. And, and I was just waiting for my room and for my uh, accommodation. Yeah. But uh, th- that was more of the inspiration uh, behind it. But generally speaking... Uh, 
some of the fatawa that it takes us to write, it takes us weeks and weeks to write, mm. uh, plowing through so many books. And when we were studying in, in South Africa by our teacher, I remember one time a teacher gave me a ruling. And after I got up to look for it, he made a comment and he said, I know you're not going to find it, but I want you to do tawaf of the library a little bit. <laughs> so it, it, it has its, its and, and you know, the interesting thing about looking for a fatwa is not the answer to the fatwa, but the journey to the answer. Mm. While you're going through the book, while you're going through content, you're going to go across things and come across points that are going to come and you otherwise you would not have seen had yeah. it not been through the journey. So I think that's what people don't realize that when, online you just plug it in. You just get the answer. Exactly. Yeah. But from our from our background, we have to go through that journey of books. So mm. you're discovering new rulings, new points, and new things that otherwise you would would not have seen those passages before. Mm. So let's let's get an idea of um, the types of kind of nowadays the questions that you're getting. Fickle uh, fiction. Fickle fiction. Exactly. <laughs> right. So this is this is amazing because this is something that you do uh, on Instagram, right? Where like even I, it's difficult to keep up sometimes because you know on Instagram you have the stories yeah. and your story turns into dots where you. Can't, <laughs> Like there's so many answers. It's like, oh my God, how am I going to get through all of this, right? So, so what what are, what are the kind of questions that you get nowadays? I mean, you could it could be on social media, or it could be like formally in terms of as a mufti, like someone writes into you the kind of uh, fatwas they're looking for. Let, g- give us an example of maybe the most common ones, and maybe even like the most funniest or craziest and wacky. Wackiest questions that, that you get. <laughs> so I, I'll tell you the, some of the common ones that I have. A lot of yeah. people ask questions about personal crisis. Right. Crisis of faith. Crisis of dealing with other people. Ma'ashara. How they are with their families. How they're with their, with their spouses. A lot of people go through a dilemma mm. of this identity crisis. That they're, they're, able, they're trying to grasp and figure out who they are. Whether it may be from a religious perspective, from a social role, from a uh, family role, that, that's a lot of questions surrounding there that, you know mm. what, I have this relative and they treat me in this capacity. How do I respond? Or that I'm going through these issues where uh, I, I'm suffering from mental illness and, you know, I, I went to some sheikh and, you know, he gave me this dhikr to do and I'm doing the dhikr, but I'm still having these issues that mm. are going on in my mind. Um, so there's, you know, you have a lot of these uh, type of issues that that happen. Uh and then you have the the, the the standard fatwas that people ask you, right? The sheikh, you know what, uh, if I'm traveling and, you know, I I forgot to uh, make my intention and now it's Ramadan time, can I fast now because I've just landed in a town where the sun has already uh, risen from, yeah, right? Yeah. Rulings of those capacity. Yeah. <clears throat> or then someone will ask me a question on um, uh, the, 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 the... It's just slipping my mind right now. The one where... Um, Someone is in a vegetative state, and uh, life, life. Um, you, when you're in a hospital and you're hospitalized, yeah. um, you have that life. What's that? The machine. Life support machine. Life support. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's a question that that, that gets asked I very see. often. Okay. Um, and um, you know, unfortunately, that it's it's it's. I, I think that one of the toughest things in this job is when you have to counsel someone going through a divorce or a separation or someone's family is breaking. Mm. Uh, and just that conversation, because you can, or, or, or condoling someone who's lost a family member. Mm. Uh, I had a friend who just passed away uh, yesterday, mm. Mufti Haris Mirza, 24-year-old young man from a yeah, heart attack. Yeah. How do you even condole people? Yeah. How, how do you condole people when you yourself are hurting, right? So you have these challenges and people don't see the humanized side of us. Mm. People see the sheikh side and the glamour and all of that. Mm. And... Um, but the pain that we also carry, 
of going through everyone's suffering and just trying to tell everyone that everything's going to be okay mm. is also one of the most toughest things that people in our field have to do. Um, and uh, in, in terms of comical questions and questions that people ask that are funny, those are those those are you always get yeah. that one strange question <laughs> sheikh can i can i put miswak on my cat right like like strange questions like why is your strange. miswak in your cat's mouth anyway right <laughs> so people will ask you very strange and very yeah. uh interesting questions but it's 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 there i won't mention the weird ones it's just but yeah, the strange yeah, just, ones yeah definitely <laughs> keep it censored for a bit but people are censored yeah yeah you know i guess you you should i guess you expect that because it's on Instagram. It's open to literally like anyone and everyone. It's actually very less that I get the strange ones. Okay. A lot of them are really good questions. Mm. Those strange ones usually come to me on personal texts or okay. someone calls me and a student called me the other day, Sheikh, I'm in a warehouse and I see a jinn. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, I was like, I'll send my jinn there too. And he just tripped out even more. <laughs> so, I mean, th- th- those are the, but Instagram, generally speaking, people ask some very genuine question and they ask yeah. a lot of question about personal struggles that they're having mm. with their sexuality with their uh with their own demons mm. and it's hard to go to a sheikh and say sheikh i have a masturbation issue <clears throat> yeah. i have an issue with this uh, uh you know i there's people who ask i like the uh, I, I i like the same gender mm. um we had a, we we had a person who who was that was all that they that were attracted to, yeah. and they needed genuine help. Mm. And there were people who suffered, and they were they were traumatized because they just didn't have anyone to talk to. Mm. So this this Instagram platform, it, it's opened an area for people to express themselves, knowing that they won't be judged. Yeah. And I, I've met so many people. To them, this the, the important thing is is that they can express something, and they know that it just stays there. And there's that confidentiality. Mm. They can speak it out. Others will benefit, and they've gotten this burden off of their shoulder. Mm, that's really important, actually. I think the open platform uh, aspect of it is the most important because people have questions, like, and either they're going to just Google it, like you said, and it just it comes up, or if they actually have someone to connect to who might just understand them. Like the Prophet, if he ever gave a fatwa, if he ever advised someone, he would look at the person and then offer the advice, not just like, everyone just kind of just just go along and do this so um even even here in the in the yeah. uk like there are there are youngsters that when we open up the platforms only when we give them that open platform that's when they come out with all of the questions other than that they wouldn't come go up to an imam like recently you had all these questions coming in from youngsters teenagers they wouldn't have normally asked but it's because we gave them the platform they're like right shit, can i can i said weed they're just asking questions like um uh, uh, the question I one of them was got Sheikh, yeah. do I get reward for giving a discount on weed to my Muslim brother? No, <laughs> in the month of Ramadan, and I'm like Habibi. I was like, I think you are holding. Yeah, he's like, brother, I'm doing it for the sake of Allah. Usually, I don't give discounts, but in Ramadan, you know, for the sake of Allah. So yeah, w- those are like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the the strangest. You get those questions, yeah. So, but then since we're on the topic of Instagram, mm. I'm gonna throw something at you uh, um, so I, 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 I run an Instagram page and you also uh, mashallah run sure. Instagram page you have one as a poet and you have one as a, uh, a nikah co so right. it's kind of romantic both of them they, <laughs> they, they, they sit together um, what are one of the challenges you face 
in oh, wow. terms of so the we've switched roles we switch roles okay. right now we switch roles on this one uh so i mean you have you, you have a nikah page right so i'm right. sure you get a lot of dms that say that uh sheikh you know i'm interested in nikah right sure, or, they, sure. or you have this you have this fitna side to it uh-huh. right so how do you what is your advice to these young uh instagrammers and youtubers who mm. are kind of getting that celebrity they, they want that fame and a lot of it is because you want to go through and see which Masha'Allah, uh, hijabi sister mm-hmm. and or non-hijabi sister yeah. um, is 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 liking it or a sister who's who's running some motivational quotes and she's looking at which which halal boy is is yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. going. So what what are your advice to people who are uh, raising in this platform? So just to clarify the question that you're asking, so these are people who are what looking to get they haven't found someone. So, so well, there's people who are on the social media platform yeah. that are representing Islam. Okay. At the same time. There's a there's there's this aspect of people also reaching out to them, and at times they may be in a capacity where they're looking, and at times they may not be. Okay, right. Okay, it could it could be both angles. But a <clears throat> is it would is there an appropriation of people to mm. go into uh, with people who are mm-hmm. raising holding an Islamic platform, and b is that if it is what what's the way of kind of protecting yourself and kind of uh, keeping that cushion so mm-hmm. that you don't jeopardize what you are representing. I see, I see. It's a good question, Sheikh. Thank you for asking and putting me on the spot on my own show. <laughs> but uh, You said it was going to be an interesting one. <laughs> the way I see it, there's, there's two aspects to this, right? There's two, there's two ways you can go about it. Number one is that I think uh, if, if we look at the people who are actually asking the questions, that's my first message. So the people that ask, you need to know who you're asking, number one. Just because you have an Islamic reminder account, someone who's running an account and just because it has 20,000, 30,000 followers and because they're posting a hadith every single day, that doesn't mean they're the person to go to to ask for advice, right? Because they're probably just out of the goodness of their heart sharing a few quotes here and there and just and you're just trying to get some reward. Uh, but that doesn't make them qualified to answer questions. So that's my first message to those people that are asking is like verify who you're asking. Make sure it is someone who's a scholar, a person of knowledge, a mufti, etc. And then the people that are actually now receiving the questions. Now it's all about if you're in a dilemma here because you're getting people who are asking questions. If you're qualified to do so, answer the questions, right? But then it's like, where do you draw the line in terms of I was talking more about people sliding into your DMs. <laughs> people sliding into DMs, what? Directly. Like, how, how, yeah. Directly. How do you, like, how do you protect yourself Because mm. from, from a platform mm. where you have people who are attracted to you right. and they're sliding and they're trying to get that... They're tr- I'm, I'm not asking just normal questions. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm talking okay, about okay. just that's... directly, like. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Up, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> as you got to so say, what's your advice to them? It's because, mashallah, you you run a nikah page, mm-hmm. and you're mashallah Romeo, right? You have all this poetry. <laughs> so, you're the Sheikh Spear, right? This <laughs> is the Sheikh Shabir, right? That that that, that should be your handle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, what's your advice to people to protect themselves so that they don't make the mistake? While they're trying to, as my teacher would say, he said something mm. very beautiful. He said that when it gets muddy, even an elephant slips. Mm. The best of us can make mistakes. So of what's course. your advice to people? I think from, from the discussions that I've had with my teachers and, and with, uh, with other people of knowledge, the main thing is always what your intention is when you're actually answering. So like I'm telling you nowadays, I'm just being straight up. Nowadays, you can tell the moment someone messages you, you can, there's a, there's a red alarm. There's a red alert. The red like, heart. 
yeah, it could be that, right? That's that could be the beginning of the conversation. You know when when the conversation like is gonna lead elsewhere. So then it's up to you now. Like you're in control. You get to navigate that conversation. If you're like, Sanikum, okay, how are you doing? Why? Why are you why are you entertaining that discussion for if you know where it's gonna lead to? So I think for me is like Listen, what's your intention when you go into it? If you think that there's... So for me, the way I do it is I, I would filter it out. When someone messages me, it might be for so many different reasons. It might just be to say, mashallah, like, uh, I love the podcast. I love the recent podcast episode with Mufti MWK. So I'm like, yeah, jazakallah khair, thank you. Hit, hit his DMs as well, you know. <laughs> I, might, I might just do that, right? Okay. Or it might be someone like, you know, I want to book you for something. So there might be a professional aspect to it. But then the moment where it's just like, hi, hello, how are you? Then I know it's just like if someone was serious, if someone wanted to, to you know, like go go down the professional route, they would have gone down the professional route. So for me, I know how to filter. Like after a while, you get experience with these things. You know how to filter these things out. My my general advice to the people would just be, just don't take advantage of the following or of the position that you have. Don't take advantage. Like we said, everyone can slip, but just make sure your intentions are in check. And make sure that you you get the right experience in terms of filtering these things out. Because if you everyone wants to be innocent about these things, no, okay, let me just see. You know, maybe that maybe that maybe it's going to lead elsewhere. Maybe, maybe it's the one. I want to give maybe <laughs> maybe it's the one. Maybe it's the one. But wallahu alam, you know. I I think for me, I don't want to say too much right now because you're the mufti here and <laughs> you're trying to put me on the spot. So how do you uh, mufti? So how, how do you deal with the DMs that you must be getting a lot? Uh, how how do you personally deal with it? You know, mashallah, you, you must be, you know, you have the American accent, you've got everything there, you've got the talent. So how do you, you know, I, I can just imagine, subhanAllah, if I just check your phone right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think you're getting revenge right now. <laughs> um, I, I, what you said was just spot on, mm. right? You know where the conversation is going. Sure. And you're in control. You know the steps you're going and you know that the people that are reaching out to you and you know that are they reaching out holistically mm. or are the are, are is there a different uh, uh purpose is a different idea behind it and if there is a different idea or purpose behind it um is it a legitimate individual you can invest in mm. if this is a legitimate relation i have friends who are married off of instagram like i have a guy okay. I, I know like few of them married to girls in morocco and these random I'm like how do you find them and they're like you know they were just over friendship right mm. that they, they, they sent some message and it just it connected but these were legitimate people who reached out and they had a mm. legitimate purpose i think the mistake and the fault lies in when it becomes excessive discussion and you lose focus of the idea that we're here to actually progress something and mm. not just to have a bay on the side or someone just to chill with or just to talk with or someone just to be there or to snap with but Someone who's legitimately there that you're connected to. Mm. And that the idea is is that I want to progress this and make this halal for us. So you have these diameters you have mm. to set. Uh, and I advise uh, people in my community that there's two ways of setting diameters. Number one, always have a third party. It could be your friend, her friend, doesn't matter mm. whose friend it is, but someone who has these diameters that is there as the go-to person to know how far the conversation is going. Number two is that set time frames that I don't talk after 9 p.m. or I don't talk after, you know, uh, 7, 8, because there are certain times of the day where the conversation takes its turn. There's a 3 a.m. conversation. There's a 3 p.m. conversation. Yeah. Right. So it's it, it, it has its it has its value when you're able to kind of make these type of time 
uh, differences. You're able to kind of guide conversations. You're able to kind of limit it. It doesn't turn into a daily aspect where you're just it's, it's, it's just like a, a relationship with, mm. with, without it pursuing somewhere. I think that's problematic. But if you put these measures in place, then inshallah, because the thing is, the reality is, is that there are there are thousands and thousands, if not millions of people getting married on social media, mm. right? Across the globe, across the Islamic faith and across the... And, and I think we have to have a, uh, a honest conversation on how to navigate the fic of social media, right? That Because it has its good potential and it doesn't have yeah. its good potential. Uh, and just to tell them that, oh no, astaghfirullah, it's not going to work. It's, it's, we're in the 21st century. Mm. I can connect with anybody. I mean, I, I knew you before we ever met because of social media. Of social media. Our, our, our relationship began a long time ago. Mm. So you can't, you, you have to have that realization, mm. understand that, okay, there has to be more discipline and appropriate measures that we are moving forward on. Mm, that's a brilliant answer. Uh, and uh, I think really in terms of like everything you've just mentioned there as well. Oh, by the way, just, just, to, just, to, just to add in that for, for everyone listening uh, and, and watching this, that there's another beloved Sheikh of us from the US, Sheikh Hasib Noor. Episode 12, we, we had a full-on discussion about like relationships and gender interaction and stuff. So that would be brilliant to refer to. But I, I really loved your answer. And that's another thing that I wanted to ask was, because I, I mentioned it before in terms of uh, everything's developing nowadays. So how do you as a, as a mufti deal with that? Because it's not just the same old questions. Okay, do I give zakat on you know this many sheep or something? Now it's like, it's, it's, it's developing even in terms of like, in terms of the Islamic finance world, for example, you have the Forex, you've got the trading, you've got this, that, new apps nowadays, etc. So how do you deal with that? Does that mean that you also have to go out and continue your own research and continue your own study? So how do you deal with the more contemporary issues? So so there's two levels to it, right? Mm. One is your own research and one is reflecting with your contemporaries or your seniors. Yeah. Uh, and our tradition is filled with a sunnah with the chain, right? There's a hierarchy in terms of educational knowledge that one generation passes to the other. Mm -hmm. So if I mm -hmm. get a masala or a ruling or a fiqh aspect on a certain ruling, mm -hmm. uh, I would do my research, but then I would also reflect it along with my seniors and my contemporaries. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, in the situation where my research is accepted by my contemporaries and my seniors, I will profess that research of mine. There have been issues and there have been rulings that I have stood on an opposite spectrum than my seniors and, and my contemporaries. But that ruling I keep too close to my chest and I don't express it. It's because I am just one man and just one person. Mm -hmm. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has, has, has advocated us to be with the jama'ah, with the, with the community. So I, I, I will try my best uh, and hopefully, inshallah, there is none of mine and there won't be any just one perspective or opinion that mm. that that goes against mainstream uh, ideology and philosophy especially when it comes to ritualistic actions and and things mm. so i try to stay on the uh, on the safer end that whatever research i have reflected with them make sure that they keep me in line it's because as they say in surah al-fuqa there's there's always a more knowledgeable person above <clears throat> you right and and you have to change you have to check your knowledge is currency with someone else and see is this currency valid or not uh, mm. otherwise you'll be putting a currency in the market that actually holds no weight and it's it's it's, it's actually it's actually deception uh, so that's that checks and balance is very important mm, definitely in terms of uh, online because again the whole instagram thing and google and everything else in terms of just giving online fatwas for example um whether it's from yourself or anyone um is that can could that also be like could that also be a negative thing for people from from the outside who's looking for a fatwa um because they're you know the, imagine the first result that comes up in google they you know i don't know any better i click on it and 
I see, for example, this X thing is haram or is halal. Let's say if it's not that balanced, you know, because with everything we could just say there's ikhtilaf, there's ikhtilaf, ikhtilaf. So could that also be a negative thing with people? We're talking about now the audience, the general audience that are looking for a fatwa and then they go, the first thing they do is they go online and then they find something, an answer, and then they kind of disregard everything else, all of the research that went into it, all of the ikhtilaf, the difference in opinion. Uh, what would your advice be to people who are looking for a fatwa? Is it better that they just go to their local imam, for example, or should they continue looking into the, the online? When you're Googling it up mm. and you're checking something on Google, why are you checking online looking for something reliable, right? Yeah. Reliability is key. Yeah. It's integrity. We live in an era that Facebook... Uh, what is it? MySpace also got hacked recently, right? MySpace. I didn't know, I I I know people use MySpace. Still. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's something happened with the MySpace recently. I don't know yeah. if I forgot what it was, but Facebook. Uh, the, the, <clears throat> these are organizations that have like crazy security measures and and, and, mm. and things to make sure that there's no data breach um there's claims that our our, our voter system was uh, in, in the u.s was was hacked by by russians or the the, the dnc like yeah. a whole political parties their 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 uh emails were hacked by a, a foreign government yeah in an era where cyber security and cyber warfare is the new thing mm. there is no guarantee that the stuff that you are looking online, though it may be from a sheikh, though it may be from a person, is actually credibly written there. Because mm. it takes a person very quickly to alter words here and there. We are still in the beginning, the infancy. But put 30 years, 40 years down the road, someone goes in and, and, and hacks the entire system with the, all the books, there's no reliability mm. left. So yeah. we resort to the original traditional method, which is getting from the sheikh and the scholar. Now, in the absence of not having any sheikh or scholar, I was talking to uh, a, a friend uh, just today, and they were like, "There's in, in in their community, there's they have nobody there that that's good company, mm. right? They have no one to go to. They have no one to learn from. What do they do then? Okay, then you, for you, watch these videos, watch these halakas, follow these accounts. For you, it's great, mm. right? But for the mass group of people, don't resort to this." Right? Don't resort to this, this superficial uh, uh, system of knowledge, but go and get that knowledge from chest to chest because it has mm. two benefits. One is the minor benefit, which is the knowledge. Yeah. And you know what the major benefit is? Good company. Mm. Good company is so powerful that the dog that spent few moments in Ashab al-Kahf's time <laughs> was also given the 300-year sleep. Mm. Sahaba is so powerful that the Sahaba, they were everything, but they're termed Sahabi's companions just because of company. The Sahaba used to travel somewhere and say, Allahumma razaqni jalisa salih. Oh Allah, give me great company. Give me good company. We forget the value of how much good company reflects on us. Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu ittaqullah. Have taqwa. That is the purpose. But Allah doesn't stop there. He says, Kunu ma'asadiqeen. Because having taqwa is the easy part. Maintaining it is the tough part. And that's why Allah says, be with the righteous. Because you'll maintain it and you'll grow it. And as they say, diamond cut diamond. People make people. So, it, 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 it just appeases you for the moment, for the time, but it is not the answer. Mm. Uh, so I think that if a true student of knowledge or a true searcher of knowledge should go and reflect to an individual, I actually have a rule in my community that you can't, when I was serving as a resident scholar, that you can't text me your question. Habibi, I want to see you. <laughs> you're in my community and you're texting me. I know you have my number. You're more than welcome to have it and we can go... But come and see me, create that love and muhabba, show the qadr and the value. I read in a book 
about 12, 13 years ago that Imam Abu Hanifa would never answer a question while walking. Oh, wow. He would have yeah. a person sit, value it, and then answer it. And he mm. would never unsolicitatedly throw, the, th- throw his answer on anyone. He would only have it to seekers. So there's this level of barakah. And inshallah, over the next few days, I'm going to do a talk on Musa and Khadr salam, and, and the etiquettes. And, and Allah gives this whole mm. lesson of how to study in the story of Musa and Khadr. Yeah. And uh, I think this reflection on that and that aspect that there's a, Allah could have just downloaded the information to Musa. But he says, no, Musa, travel to Madrasa Khadriyyah. And spend time there, get that suhbah there, and then come back from that aspect. So this journey of knowledge is, even Sheikh Abdul Fattah Ghudda rahimahullah writes about this in Safahat Nusabr al-Ulama, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam, he said that if you want to know your tahiyyah, go to the malaika. Though later on he passes the test, but Allah shows that even the first methodology of getting knowledge is suffer for ilm, travel for knowledge and get it and bring it together. Amazing points, and this leads perfectly on to my next point, which is like the elephant in the room to 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 address those people who are not quite there yet, right? So those people who maybe have actually not even studied, they're reliant on like the online fatwas, or people who are very early on in their talwin in their own journey of seeking knowledge, right? But nowadays, because of the accessibility to social media, you have your Twitter account, you have your Facebook, you have your Instagram. These people are now coming out and like literally giving fatwa. Literally, they're giving fatwa. Or, you know, um, they're like, because they're so early on, they haven't experienced life. You know, like, mashallah, you've traveled to so many different countries around the world and you've studied, you've, you, you know, you've worked for it. But a lot of people, they haven't traveled, they haven't seen the outside world and they've only seen one side of things. So what they're now doing is they're imposing their views on others. So, you know, there's terms for them nowadays. There's terms like people come up with and coin, etc. right? But... What is your advice to these people um, that are just issuing fatwa or it's not even their, maybe it's not even their own fatwa, they're just literally quoting X, Y, Z and throwing it out there on social media. What's your advice to, to these people? Uh, there's three things to this. Number one yeah. is that first I need advice myself before I give it to anyone else. Yeah. But just thoughts that I'm thinking out loud yeah. uh, is <clears throat> that you asked, there are, you asked about two questions, right? Number one was the type of people that have not really reached there, mm. but they're also seeking knowledge. Yep. And the second is those who are on their journey and giving fatwas without actually being in that position. Sure. Right? Those are two different yeah. aspects. The first thing is someone who's just trying to get closer to Allah. They have no other option. For that person, yes, go down that social media route. Go down that sheikh's route. Go down someone who feels connected because it's a step. But, which leads into the next question. Yeah. The speaker themselves can only solve this dilemma. As our teacher used to say, our job is to connect people to Allah, not to ourselves. Mm. So if I have that platform and I'm just there promoting myself the entire time and I'm not reminding people to go back to local scholarship and I'm not reminding people and connecting people and I'm coming and visiting your masjid in your community and I'm just giving a lecture and mashallah, people are connected to me, but I don't redirect them that, hey, listen, you have an amazing imam over here. You have a gem over here. Mm. Learn from them. Who's I'm there to blame. I'm the person who's the problem. It's because I'm there creating this culture and the only ones who can dismantle the culture are the ones who are creating the culture Mm. right so this philosophy because we travel everywhere and i see and it happens all the time one of the things that i try to do all the time wherever i travel is if there's a local imam or something i try to make it a point of establishing that person's uh respect and honor and reminding the community that i'm just here for a moment Mm -hmm. whereas this person is dedicated to you they're a pillar of your community and lastly those people who are just posting or quoting 
Ibn al-Qayyim has an amazing book. Forget the entire book. Just the title will bring shivers in you. A'lamul Muakkirin. A reminder to those who sign off. That Allah is above you. You're signing off a fatwa. You're giving, you're giving the authority that I'm representing Allah's opinion here. It's the most toughest thing. There's a reason why we don't take our lone opinions and express them. is because we fear that what if we are quoting Allah wrong? Mm. And that is why there's a concept of elders and there's a concept of sanad that to keep it as, as authentic as possible in that capacity. Mm. So it's just about having that taqwa and realizing that the Prophet ﷺ spoke about two types of scholars. Ulama al-khair and ulama su the good and the bad. And you have to ask yourself, which one am I? Am mm. I the one who's eloquent, but iman is stuck to my throat? And my when people come and tell us, mashallah, lecture was good, it makes me shiver. It's because it reminds me of those ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he says, in the end of times, people like you will stand before people. And their tongues will be sweet, and their words will be like emphatic. And then what? So it's a reminder to, to remind myself that I have to work on myself. And, and not having checks and balances is where a person goes misguided. And there has to be a level that there has to, you have to understand that someone is above you. When you think you are the biggest one, then that's takabbur at its finest. That's kibbut and pride at its finest. That I know, no one else knows. Mufti Taha Quran once said 10 years ago, very beautifully, he said, when you think your opinion is supersedes everyone else's, there's a hint of arrogance in it. Mm. So that would be my thoughts on that. Mm. If we go down a level from fatwa and, and, and giving your own opinion on things, and let's just say, for example, the concept of just nasiha, like you just want to advise someone. You're not saying this is it, this is halal haram. You're just saying like this is my advice. Now, there's, there's an issue that I've seen uh, a lot, especially nowadays, which is, for example, um, because in the day and age of there's a lot of Muslim influencers, bloggers, scholars, leaders, etc. And, and they're online and, and they have that exposure. Um, if they slip and they, they make a mistake, which everyone is bound to do, like you've already said, everyone's human, right? Uh, then it's like there's a whole army that's after them using the same platform that they've used uh, to kind of go after them. Or they made a mistake and... Uh, you know, uh, uh, certain people they they feel the responsibility to now advise those people. So you have two camps now. You have those who say, "Listen, uh, just advise them in private. Do what you can." And then you have the other camp, which is like, "No, if they've done something publicly, I'm going to go out publicly and address this." So uh, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this. It's more again, it's more one of those like modern contemporary issues to do very much with social media as to how we can kind of address this. Is it okay to just publicly kind of uh, i wouldn't say name and shame but you know to publicly advise people what do you think is the best uh, ideal scenario or the best route to take in this case there's two things in here the first thing is is that the reality of fame and what is anyone who's trying to get fame yeah right we we, we get famous what do they say people spend a celebrity is someone who spends their life getting known and then spends the rest of their life wearing sunglasses and having an umbrella above to be unknown. <laughs> so people don't reach out to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's two poems in Urdu that I'm, I'll share with you and I'll translate, uh, which will really reflect and capture the whole idea of fame. The reality of fame is, Jab to thaliyan, jab to When things are going well, people will clap. And when the moment things slip, everyone will curse you. This is the reality of what fame is. And number two, 
میں خود سے دور ہوتا جا رہا ہوں سنا ہے کہ اب کوئی ٹھوکر لگے گی بہت مغرور ہوتا جا رہا ہوں The poet says, I'm becoming very well known to other people, but I'm becoming unknown to myself. SubhanAllah. I'm going to make a slip. Mm. You know why? It's because I have been begun to deceive myself, forget other people. Wow. <laughs> It's the reality of fame. Yeah. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the student of knowledge is the complete opposite. Yeah. In the dunya, when you go for fame, you get a red carpet, you get paparazzi, and you get people retweeting you, and you're trending. And what are people looking for? The moment you make a mistake, they slaughter you. Mm. But the student of knowledge, when he steps out, doesn't get a red carpet, he gets a white carpet, angel's wings. Yep. He doesn't have a paparazzi of people talking to him. He has the, the fish in the sea, the insects in the ground, and the birds in the sky doing dua. What is their dua? That, Ya Allah, when this person makes a mistake, forgive them. They're doing istighfar Whereas the opposite end Is looking for your mistakes yeah. This end As a student of knowledge What is it? Is the complete opposite Okay In terms of admonishing people There's two rules Rule number one is mm. If someone has been oppressed Vulum has been done Vulum Then You don't hide that And you express it out Someone has been abused, someone has been raped, someone has been in, in, in that capacity. Yes, you express it outside. I'm not talking about consensual and all that. I'm talking about abuse, yeah, right? Yeah. Someone does a wrong action, it's consensual, that's a different topic. I'm talking about where abuse is taking place. In abuse, Allah says that person does not have the right to have a, a, a hidden door. is because we need to stop the mm. abuse. The second thing is, is that the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Mu'minu mir'atul mu'min. Mm. A believer is a mirror to another believer. When you look inside the mirror, you're, mashallah, a handsome person, right? But someone like me that looks inside the mirror. When we look inside and we see our defects, mm. who tells us the defects that's on us? When I look in the mirror. You're getting it yourself, really. But where do I see it? I see it in the mirror. Yeah, in the mirror, yeah. When the mirror tells me my defects, how loud does he tell it to me? How long does he tell You don't hear anything. The mirror tells you your defects silently, quietly, privately. <laughs> I like that And the Prophet said mm. The believer Is a mirror to another believer Now you get on the mic And now you think that Oh no I need to go and Shame this person I need to put them right They're a public figure mm. Now what did you do? You That person Just stopped from sin But you've also increased Ghiba In the ummah There's thousands of people in their homes. What are they doing? They're doing ghiba of that person. Now that person who was zalim and an oppressor became a mazloom and now they're getting reward from everybody else. Don't show, express happiness and try to exploit people's mistakes. Allah may stop them from committing the sins and then put you in the same problem inside. And how many of us, what happens? We just become We just, pe we, just be we just become people who backbite. Remember one thing. Scholars are humans. They will make mistakes. Mm. If the man has disobeyed Allah, he also knows how to make Allah happy. The best thing, if dhulam has taken place, you hold them accountable. Yeah. But natural human mistakes that take place that any other human can do, ask for their forgiveness, hold them in their position, and don't apotheosize anybody. That's also another problem. We mm. apotheosize people. My sheikh is the greatest sheikh in the world. Right? Take everyone as a human individual and mm. hold everyone in that capacity. I think that's a, 
that, that analogy as well was brilliant, the mirror one. And uh, I think, Sheikh, we need to hear, we need to do a different episode with just your poetry. I think people love it. <laughs> your Urdu, your Arabic poetry is, 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 is beautiful, mashallah. We're, we're coming slowly towards the end of the episode, though I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm learning a lot from you, mashallah, yeah, and, uh, and having a lot of fun as well, hearing your poetry and, and, and benefiting, mashallah. So just to kind of, uh, to wrap up the last few things, which is, one thing that you've mentioned, and I know it will take a long time to discuss these things, but uh, in terms of your travels as well, I just wanted to touch on that. Because uh, do you feel like, because mashallah, you've, you've traveled all across and you can, maybe you can mention some of the places that you've been to and, 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 and you know experienced, but do you feel like by traveling um, and by going to different places and meeting new people, as a, this is in, you know, in, in the shoes of a mufti, um, that kind of opens your eyes up to now new communities new problems uh, and and do you feel like that helps you because a lot of the time what happens is of course most definitely especially as students of knowledge we should benefit from our local community but then we don't travel and we only see one side of things so just to touch on really your travels where you've been to and just the kind of things that you've learned and how that's developed you as someone who is now in, in this position the first thing I want to say, I just want to clarify that the mirror analogy I gave, my teacher told me that. It wasn't Mashallah. from my side. just want to clarify that. Brilliant. Uh, the second thing is, is that, um, alhamdulillah, I've, I travel quite a bit, been to over, I think, over 20 countries. And since you like poetry, kabi arshbar, kabi farshbar, kabi unkedar, kabi darbadar, ghameyashiqi, tera shukriya, me kahan kahan se guzar gaya, kabi rasato me tanha, kabi rubaru de sahara, me junun kaham safar hu, mera koi gar nahi. The poet says, kabi arshbar, kabi farshbar, sometimes I'm in a five star hotel, kabi farshbar, sometimes I'm on the floor. Sometimes I'm somewhere, sometimes I'm nowhere. He says, you know heartbreak? When my heart was shattered and the lessons I've learned, I thank you. Because had it not been for my heartbreak and been alone in, in, in a journey, mm. I would have not learned the lessons that I've learned. So thank you for breaking my heart because you made me into a person that I was not. And I've traversed the world because of it. Anyway, <laughs> so that was just because you said the yeah, poetry yeah, thing. Yeah, so I, 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 I mentioned that. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَهَلْ مِنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا That every one of us will cross over Jahannam. Think about it. You're going to Jannah, but why do you have to see Jahannam? Because it's in human nature to be inquisitive and curious. We've heard about Jahannam. We've seen this. We want to see this horror movie. I don't want the jinn to attack me, but I want to see the jinn movie. I want to see. I don't want to hear. I don't want the jinn, but I want to hear the jinn stories. Right? <laughs> that, that 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 thriller, that yeah, horror, yeah. that scary movie. It has a certain appetite to it. So even when we're going to Jannah, we cross over Jahannam to view it. And Allah says, "Fasiru fil ard, travel and see. Fandur Look at how what the results of people were. So when you travel through places and you see, they say that traveling makes you makes you speechless, and then turns you into a storyteller. <laughs> so every country had its own amazing reflection to it. I was just in Cairo, standing before the pyramids. And understanding that 3,500 years, there was no structure on earth that was larger than this. And this was the largest man-made structure. Going inside it, that was its own feeling. Walking through the streets of Uzbekistan in Tashkan, Samarkand, Bukhara, and thinking that this is where Imam Bukhari traveled all the way to go and teach hadith to Imam Muslim. And this is where Imam Tirmidhi traveled to meet Imam Bukhari. And this is what this happened. This is where Genghis Khan came. That was his own reflection. To go into China and Hong Kong and see the millions of Muslims that are there and to remind yourself that 
there are far more Muslims in China than there are in the entire Western Hemisphere. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. It's a reflection. Right, it's a reflection. Going to India, going to the 25 cities or 30 cities that I did, the villages that I did, and went and seen that these were the people who, 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 when the British influence was there, these were the same structures and the individuals that witnessed that entire era. To go and just to soak in the different cultures, it's easy to understand this sect of Islam and call this sect of Islam, but I have went with my own eyes and have seen the birthplaces of every one of those areas. And it makes you understand people remarkably. Yeah. And it makes you understand that, listen, people are not as simple as this is their opinion, this is their view. Put yourself in their shoes. Mm. And then you meet the most amazing people in the world. Wallahi, I have found generosity in the villages of Silet and in the villages of Nanota. And Wallahi, I didn't find it in the mansions of New York and in the mansions of Chicago. So that that the, the stories of that aspect is just, and and I think people should travel. There's so much you can learn. I've actually learned more fiqh from my teacher by traveling with him than I did studying within a book. So me and him, we we traveled together to China, the Grand Mufti of South Africa. We went to China, Hong Kong, Palestine, uh, Jordan, Dubai, Saudi Arabia. We went all over. Mm. And that proximity and that time gave that opportunity to ask questions. That's why I advise a lot of youth, go with your imam, go with your sheikh, travel somewhere, go in a little group, and you'll learn so much in just that journey. They say you can't claim to know someone until you haven't lived with them, done business with them, or traveled with them. Mm. Brilliant. So that means we need to have another, inshallah, Next time you're here, inshallah. Uh, just to get it, gain an insight into all of your traveling, inshallah. Sounds amazing. And uh, Muhammad Asim Khan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, and of course, this is for everyone listening and watching that Mufti MWK, uh, you can find him on the social media. If you need the, <laughs> if you need the fatwa, <laughs> then he's there. He's there for you, inshallah. Uh, but uh, I, I want to also give a fatwa on, uh, on, on Sheikh's behalf and tell everyone that you must subscribe to the Onfeed <laughs> channel. It's wajib. And, uh, it's wajib. It's wajib. It's wajib. Sheikh has said it. Yeah. Sheikh has spoken. There you go. And the, uh, the iTunes as well. Keep up to date with all of our episodes. Sheikh. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Ilmfeed and to yourself, uh, Sheikh Shabir, for the amazing interview. I've been watching these podcasts uh, since you've been ha you've been having them. People have also told me that look, look at how their podcasts are, and these are really good things. You should do them. And uh, just so happened that when I came over here, yeah. you had mentioned, "May Allah reward you for your love and your muhabbat and your akhlaq and your character, and ask mm -hmm. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to, to bless you and your parents and your family, and allow you to earn the du'as of your parents." Thank you so much, and thank you to everyone who's tuned in we hope you've benefited we've discussed so many different topics here from the beginning where he discussed the history behind these terminologies right subhanallah all the way to the end where he's given an insight into his travels may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless uh, Mufti MWK we hope to hear, have him back soon and uh, to everyone else inshallah take care of yourselves we'll hopefully be back with another episode very soon from your host Shabir this is the Onfeed podcast see you all soon inshallah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh